0: So last week we were looking at um, 2019 at the beginning of spring. And in nature, spring is all about new life and new beginnings and all of that kind of stuff. And I couldn't help but think, and I'm thinking even just for my own life, it was like we had new beginnings last week. Last Saturday when we were here, we had stuff happen in people's lives that was just breaking old and creating something new and giving us an opportunity to have a whole new beginning and a whole new future. And um, and I think if we can hold on to that and grasp it and grasp where God is trying to challenge us to move into, that we will see twenty nineteen possibly being our best year ever. Possibly being our best year ever. Not without its hassles and not without its challenges, but possibly being our best year ever. And no matter where we're at right this minute in time, no matter what's going on in your life, right this minute in time, I still believe 2019 can be our best year ever. As individuals, as families, as a church, as a community, I think we have the best laid out in front of us. But it's about us stepping into it. And it's about us stepping into that challenge that gave us. And God's challenge was to be the body of Christ Here's our challenge from God. It was to be the body of Christ, and it was from 1 Corinthians. But here was the bit I wanted to say. Here's God's declaration over us, because when you get to 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And even if, you, if you've given your life to Jesus, and even if you don't feel part of the body, it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. The reality of it is you are it the thing we need to figure out is which bit of it are we supposed to be. Am I supposed to be a finger or a hand or a toe or a foot or a a leg? What is it? What's the role within that body that I have? Because every one of us has that place in it. But God has declared over us that we are the body. Now there's roadblocks and I talked about this last week. There's roadblocks to us making our way into that. And the first one of those is that we can be judging other people. And I use the scripture from Matthew You could go from Matthew, Matthew 7, 1 to 2, where it said, don't judge or you too will be judged. For the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And the reality of it is, I don't want to be judged. I don't know anybody who does want to be judged. But whatever way we judge other people, and, and here's something else as well, as human beings, you will judge. It's just normal. It's like the minute you meet somebody, you make judgments about, I like them, I don't like them, I like the height of them, I don't like the height of them, they're too tall, too small, too fat, too skinny, too whatever, they've no hair, they've red hair, they've green hair, they've blue hair, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You will make judgments, it's what you do with them. It's what we do with them, whether we let that colour how we interact with that person or not. That's what's important. And that's what God is saying, don't, don't let that change the fact that you can love this person, even if there's stuff about them you don't like because he loves us even though i'm sure there's stuff about us that he'd rather we didn't do i didn't have and then i talked also about not taking offense and i used the scripture from romans i said don't repay evil for evil but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone and I tell you what, the hands on me for living at peace with other people is not to get myself all bound up and twisted out of shape and bent out of shape over something someone says. It's as simple as that. The kids inside are watching um, a film from the Punchinello story. And I don't know if you remember when I read it out here a couple of weeks ago. And the dots and the stars, okay? Here's the thing about the dots. The dots are their criticisms that people will throw at you. Whether you get offended or not is whether you let them stick to you. Or whether you live with life, go, well, that's your opinion, but I'm not going to get myself bent over shape over that. This is what God thinks about it, and I'm going to bring whatever that is to him. The next thing was about unforgiveness. But if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then he won't forgive you. And here's the thing. Forgiveness is an amazing concept until you have to try it. I think it's an absolutely wonderful concept until I have to forgive somebody. I think it's a great concept when I want Anne to forgive me, but when it's the other way around, it's a totally different ball game. And then the last one was gossip, and I was a perverse person from Proverbs, stores up conflict, and the gossip separates close friends. And here's the thing: they were just four things. That like, there's loads of other stuff that can derail us and throw us off the thing, but they were four big blocks that I have seen come up over and over and over again in people's lives, and it just shipwrecked you off the path that God has for you. And the path that God has for us is the best one. And and if everything or anything is going to throw me off of that path, then I really want to try and find out what it is so that I don't get messed up. Because I don't want my life to end up in a mess. And I don't want other people's lives to end up in a mess. But if we can get past them, then we get to live in the adventure. We get to live in the adventure. We get to live in the place where God is calling us into. And in Matthew 20, (coughs) sorry, in Matthew 29, it should be up there. In verse 18, Jesus said, And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the next one. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's the thing, the great adventure is also called the great commission. It's an opportunity for each one of us to go and tell someone else what God's done for us. That is scary, but it is also really exciting when you see someone's life getting changed. Somebody told you about Jesus. Someone told me about Jesus and they got the person who told me about jesus Got over the next few years to see jesus change my life around and torn me from what i was into what i could become and i have had that privilege and that excitement to sit with many of you and see jesus turn your life around and see you move from somebody who was caught in all kinds of stuff trapped in a blind alley whatever it was And see you move into light and into adventure and into excitement and into doing things that you never dreamt you'd ever be able to do. But we get to do that because he invites us into the adventure. We have a choice. We can say no. We can say no. And most people say no because they don't want to step into it because they're afraid. But here's the the promise Um, the promise is that he will never leave us he will never leave us he promises over and over again surely I am with you always till the very end of the age how do you live in that promise to live in it is using the armor of God like we were talking about last week to remember we were talking about the shield and the helmet and all the rest of it and we had the four guys up here standing back to back. so Because there's nothing to cover our back. But there's everything we need to cover us from head to toe for our fronts, Because we're supposed to be moving forward into the adventure. Not going backwards to from me. Because the minute I walk away from it, my back is exposed. The minute I turn me back on what God says or God is or God's calling me to be, I'm walking away and my whole back is exposed. But if there's people standing beside each other and covering each other's backs, we can move forward, we can move in all kinds of directions together. And the bit I was thinking about, about that and putting on the full armor, it says to put on the belt of truth. But that's about being honest. That's all. Just being honest. But being honest can be a pain. It can be a nuisance sometimes as well because a lot of times it's much easier to lie. But it doesn't get us there. Because once we start lying, we just leave ourselves exposed to get caught out. And we leave ourselves vulnerable and we leave ourselves open to being accused of something and being caught out. Then it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. We don't have that only in Jesus. The only righteousness we're going to get is from Jesus. There's none of us are going to be good enough, in all honesty, to be righteous before God. The shoes are the gospel of peace, that's about trying to live at peace with other people. It's about not taking offence. It's about not gossiping about them. The shield of faith. You get faith. We, we get a little gift of faith. Every single person in the world has faith. The minute you walk out to a bus stop, you're exercising faith that a bus is going to come. The minute you sit in a chair, you're exercising faith in that chair that it's going to hold you up and not collapse underneath you. Ever have a chair that collapsed underneath you? Yeah, that's a test of faith the next time you sit on a chair. Because you're going, I wonder if this one be okay. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to have faith in God, you need to read what he says. You you need to listen to what he says. You need to expose yourself to what he says. The more times I went to a bus stop and a bus came, the more times I believed that the next time I went to a bus stop, a bus would come. But the last time I went to a bus stop and I was standing there for a half an hour after the bus that was supposed to come disappeared, I was losing faith in the bus service that they were going to turn up. The helm of salvation is about accepting what Jesus has done for us. The sword of the Spirit is about the Word of God, knowing the Word of God. If, if we don't know it, we can't use it. And then praying in the Spirit is about communicating with God. It's about taking the time. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, about praying. But it's about taking the time to talk with God. See how a battle, it says in our scripture, is not with flesh and blood. But it sure looks like it most of the time. Because most of the battles I have in life are with other people. I used to teach a communications class and they used to say 80% of the problems I have in life talk back to me. Just have a think about that for a minute for yourself. 80% of the problems we have in life talk back to us. They're with other people. They're not with things. They're with other people. But a lot of times when other people are at our throats and trying to get us, it's not even them, but it's the forces behind them. But we get caught up in a battle with them. Where if we just could learn to pray into what is driving them, it's amazing when you see battles fall apart. I learned years ago, in in um, in our relationship, that when when Anne used to get angry at me, I know you wouldn't believe she does, but like she did, and still does sometimes, and I still get angry at her because we're human. But here's the thing: when she used to get angry, I used to get angry back at her. Because I used to respond to her anger, and then I was doing—I um, don't know—I was reading a book or I was doing a course something one day, and I was talking about anger is always the second emotion. Walk on what's the first emotion? So why is she angry? She was angry because she was hurt. Do you know? What I learned when I dealt with the hurt and I addressed the hurt, the anger just disappeared. You ever go in and you're angry with a shop and you go to customer services and they just face your anger with with a stone wall? You just get more angry, don't you? But if they address the thing that you're concerned about, then your anger disappears. What's that got to do with this? Our battle's not with flesh and blood. A lot of times the people that are fighting with us, it's not the people, it's what's behind them. Address what's behind them. Fight the war in the spiritual realm. Not face to face, don't fight with the people. Pray for them. Pray God moves it. We have seen God move mountains in people's lives when I wanted to kill them. Because everything in me was fighting their them as people. But in essence it was what was going on behind them. So what do we do next if we're going to take this to the next level in the next part of the adventure that God wants us to do? And I think we need to do three things. We need to pray, we need to serve and we need to give. And I have three things that I believe all Christ followers are called to do. And I don't believe the suggestions. I believe the commandments. I believe God has said, if you want to follow me, and Jesus has said, if you want to follow me, these will be at least three things that you'll do. And in every single one of them, he has been our best example. When he walked this earth, he was our best example. For instance, in praying, I have a list here, three pages long, of scripture references of Jesus praying. I'm going to read a few of them for you. Luke 3. Now when all the people were baptised, Jesus was also baptised. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. Matthew 14, after he sent the crowds away, he went up in the mountain by himself to pray. Mark 6, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Luke 6, it was at that time he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 1, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a security place and was praying. Luke 5, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Luke 9, and it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them. Matthew 26, Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here, I'm going over there to pray. After he went a little while away, it's still in Matthew 26, he prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew 26 again, he went away a second time and prayed. 26 again, he left them again and prayed a third time. Go on down to, um, I'm skipping here. Excuse me, Luke 22, but I have prayed for you. And listen to this one in Hebrews. Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I'll give you a different one, Romans 8. So here's the one that condemns. Jesus Christ is the one who died, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who also intercedes for us. So Jesus prayed, 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 and still prays even now for us. He is our example. And how did he do that? He did it in secret and he did it in intimacy. He did it in secret and he did it in intimacy. He was in a conversation with his dad in heaven. He wasn't. In Matthew 6, 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. He wasn't talking about going into a church and standing in the front of everybody else and going, oh God, blah, 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 blah. He was talking about you walking down the road and having a chat with God. He was talking about you sitting at home, lying in your bed, sitting in your bed, going into a room in your house on your own, going in your car on your own, getting on your own and having a conversation with God. And having communication with God. He went out to a mountain all the time to pray because that's where he lived. There was mountains. If you want to go up to Wicklow Mountains, away with it, But you don't have to. You can do it in the loo. Just don't be doing it for other people to see. Do it for yourself. Do it in private so you can have that relationship with God. And fast. This is a real popular one. This is nearly as popular as giving money. Okay, fast. No one wants to think about fasting. I totally understand that. But scripture tells us to fast. Fast and pray. Fast is not about about becoming holier and it's not about twisting God's arm. And it's not about trying to manipulate God into doing something for you. It's about trying to tell my body it doesn't have control. It's like trying to tell me, belly, it's not in control, which is quite hard because I have a big belly. Okay? It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. But the reality of it is when you do, you hear from God. Because all of the stuff that's going on in life stops us hearing. So all of the... You can fast from men, you can fast from food, you can fast from coffee, you can fast from Facebook, you can fast from telly, you can fast from the newspapers. All you're doing is saying, for this period of time, I'm going to stop doing that so I can concentrate that little bit of time into trying to hear God's voice. That's all. Some people do it for 10 minutes, some people do it for an hour, some people do it for a day, some people do it for a week, some people do it for a long time. Jesus did it for 40 days. There's loads of different places in Scripture where it talks about fasting. And Jesus even said to people, When you do that, do it in secret. When you fast, see that not if you fast, when you fast. Don't look somber like the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show that they're fasting. Truly I tell you they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, do it in secret. Do it in secret. Don't be telling everybody else about it. You don't need to. A bit like the prayer. If you do that in secret, you'll be amazed what happens in public. You'll be amazed. The next thing I think we're called to do is to serve. And again, our best example is Jesus. In Mark 42, in Mark 10, Jesus said this. So Jesus called them together and said, "You know, the rulers in the world order over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant." And whoever wants to be forced among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I know that the world I live in and the world I operate in is always about whoever's trying to get to the top. And there do a lot of work in, in two other organizations, one's a charity and one is a government-funded project, and both of them are full of politics about people trying to be at the top. I've seen it in all the local politics around the areas here. I walked in Ballyfermot, I walked out in Darndale, I walked in Tallah. It's always politics, and politics is always about who's getting the lion's share, who's going to get the credit for this happening. You'll know, have 10 different organizations trying to get the credit for one person's life getting together. And it's all about trying to be the one who goes, Oh, it was all because you did it. That's great. But the reality of it is, Jesus said, If you want to be well-known, then do nothing about trying to become well-known but serve people. Just do something good. And he, he did the best example of it when you get to the, 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 the book of John, in, Let's read it for a minute. John, in. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Jesus, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Now, said Peter, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet, but their whole body is clean and you're clean. For he knew who was going to betray him. When he had finished washing the feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. No servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now do you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Here's the thing. In them days, washing someone's feet was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest jobs. So I want you to think of the worst possible job you could ever get in Dublin right now. Is it doing the bin? So here's the thing. That is the nearest thing you're going to get that compares with the person. Because there was someone in a household who had that job. There were people walking through dusty streets, dusty mud tracks, they weren't streets, where I had animals going to toilet on them and all kinds of stuff. They were wearing sandals. So when they arrived at your house, they were generally fairly stinking. Actually, I'm just reminded of being in a van in Belarus with Sergei and with two other guys, um, okay, and his feet were stinking. Right? And, when we got to a house, this woman said, you're not coming in here like that. <laughs> she gave him a basin water and put him out in the garden and told him to wash his feet. okay?" But here's the deal. Stinking feet like that was what was normally coming into people's homes. So there was someone picked to do that job and wash their feet. Jesus picked that job for himself. Now, if you, if you if, if you are struggling with who Jesus is, fair enough. But if you know who Jesus is, And you understand that he is the God of heaven who created everything. He was there in the beginning. He's the one who gives us life. He keeps the breath going in and out of my body. He owns everything. He is the richest being in the cosmos, not just on planet Earth. And he is washing people's feet. He is picking the lowest possible job that you can have. And he's doing it to show me that there's nothing below me. There is no job that I can do to serve another human being that is below me. There is no act of service that I can do for someone else. There is no toilet that I'm too good to clean. There is no human being that I'm too good to pick up off the street. If the God of heaven can do that, do you know what he says at the end? You will be blessed if you do it. Remember the fourth promise. I'm with you always. I'm never going to leave you. The second one, pray in secret and your father who sees what's done in secret, he'll reward you. The third one, save other people. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Here's what happens as well. When we encounter Jesus, he changes things inside of us. And something awakens in us that wants to serve other people. Something changes inside of us that wants to serve other people. There's something about following Jesus that makes us want to change things. That makes us want to make the world a better place. Look at what happened. There's, There's a story in Acts of a jailer who had Paul and Silas in a jail. And what happened was, that's okay, what happened was that the, the gate opened, I'm going to skip through the, the scriptures there, but the gate opened, the, the jailer comes in, sees and thinks that everybody has escaped and is going to kill himself. And Paul calls out from the jailer and says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. You're safe. And the man eventually gives his life to Jesus and makes a commitment to become a follower of Jesus. During that process, or just after that process, he gets baptized. And then the next thing he does is start to serve. He washes Paul's wounds. And then it says that he put a meal out before him. Because the minute that he had an encounter with Jesus, something inside of him changed from being selfish to being selfless and serving. He was a jailer. Do you know where he was going to kill himself? Because he was going to get killed, but he wasn't going to get killed nicely. He would have been tortured and then killed for letting them all escape so that no one else would make that mistake. We think getting fired is bad. It wasn't a good deal in them days. He was going to kill himself to make that process quicker and less painful. But going from taking care of himself, he moved almost immediately to taking care of other people. And the reality of it is, the minute people become followers of jesus something changes inside of us where we want to make a difference in other people's lives and i have I, I done a little bit of research and i promise you i have pages upon pages of people i'm going to give you some of them the different people who did things who became christians okay who started in the book of acts you'll see people starting to serve starting to save, feed, feeding people taking care of widows taking care of orphans people giving away the money people selling land and bringing it in and all of that money being used for to do social care among the people around them. Christians have and still are the largest provider of health care and education in the world. The UN Declaration of Human Rights was Christian. Just hold on to that one for a minute. The UN, the United Nations, who would now look down on Christianity, but their whole Declaration of Human Rights was based on Christianity. And do you know how we know that? Because many Muslim states refused to sign it because they said it was Christian. Karl Marx didn't want anything to do with it because he rejected it because he acknowledged it was Christian. A woman called Jane Addams in America pioneered social work. The London Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children was founded by three different Christians, a guy called Shaftesbury, Waugh, and Rudolph, and they campaigned until the laws were changed in the 1800s. The forced law to protect children came out in 1889 and it was campaigned for by Christians. Wilberforce campaigned against slavery. He was a Christian. Um, Save the Children, a huge relief organisation founded by a woman called Jeb, Christian. Camillus de Lellis founded the original group who became the Red Cross, a Christian. Bernardo is the world's biggest orphan and child society founded by a guy called Bernardo, Thomas John Bernardo, a Christian. The Quakers pioneered prison work in the 1800s, and more recently in the last 30, 40 years, pioneered the AVP program, the Alternative to Violence program in the prisons, Christians. Um, Lewis Braille was a Christian, and he created the whole system of reading and writing for blind people. On his deathbed, he said, God was pleased to hold before my eyes the dazzling splendor of eternal hope. A guy called Douglas Macmillan started the Macmillan Nurses to pioneer free or low-cost health care for terminally ill people. Rose Horton started the first treatment centers for cancer patients in the U.S. A guy called Richard Adams started Tear Fund who work all over the world right now. A guy called Mullard Fuller started Habitat for Humanity. William Booth started the Salvation Army. Dr. Paul Wilson-Bard and Wesley Bailey started the leprosy missions, one in the 1900s and one in the 1800s. Most city libraries were started by Christians. George Willow founded the YMCA. Franklin Graham founded Samaritan Ports. You know Lech Wilensky, the guy from Poland who was the trade union and then became the president of Poland during the fall of the Russian Federation the USSR? He was a Christian, devout Christian. George Muller had over 2,000 kids in orphanages and schools in the 1800s. Never took a salary. He was a Christian. Jackie Pullinger, famous for her book, Chasing the Dragon, Is a missionary in Hong Kong doing amazing stuff. The AA came from a Christian group called the Oxford Group. Bob Smith was one of his founders, and he said the AA's basic ideas came from their study of the Bible. The steps, in essence, meant love and serve. When people become involved with Jesus, something changes, and we want to become involved with the rest of humanity in a more positive way. And then the last bit I want to talk about is giving. And the amazing thing about all of that stuff that ever happened in the world was someone financed it. Everything that gets done in this world costs money. And God provides it. But he provides it through his people. It may not be the people sitting around you right now, but there are people who have provided for what we're sitting in. Actually, there's people in America who provided for the chairs that you're sitting on. We have provided for stuff in other places. There's kids living in better conditions in Belarus and old people living in better conditions in Belarus because Christians here provided for them. And God provided them through his people. And our best example, again, forgiven, is Jesus. In John 10:17, it says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it back up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord he gave his own life of his own accord he gave everything physically he suffered torture and death emotionally he suffered fear, shame and humiliation and spiritually he suffered separation from his father which he had never had ever in eternity he gave everything but I want to say this he gave everything for a reason and it was for the joy set before him in Hebrews excuse me, 12.2, it tells us this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and protector of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So we are called to give, and we're called to give everything, but we're not called to give everything for no reason. We're called to give everything for the joy set before us. Because there's a joy set before each and every one of us. If we give like Jesus, we can enjoy what he has enjoyed, which is getting to see people's lives changed, getting to see different things happen that we would have never seen if we didn't get involved and give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 7 tells us to give abundantly and cheerfully. Okay? Abundantly and cheerfully. But I have never pushed giving and hope and for that, I probably need to say I'm sorry because I should have. Because I have robbed you of a blessing. If you're not giving into God's kingdom, I'm telling you now, you're being robbed of a blessing. And if because I haven't pushed that, that's the reason you're not giving, I apologize for not pushing it. I should have. Because I know everyone I know who gives gets blessed. And they don't give to be blessed, but they do get blessed because they give. I've had conversations with people where they're like, so how much can I get away with? Is it really 10%? Can I not get away with like 9%? Can I have 10% on the net instead of the gross? They've got the whole wrong attitude on it. It's about what can I get away with rather than what can I give? And I just want to say this, and this is not to say that I'm great and it's not to say that we're great or anything else, but we give. As a family, we give. And when we give, we give from an eternal perspective. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we spoke about having an appetite for the eternal and seeing things from an eternal perspective instead of just in this world? When we give, we give to sow into something that's going to last for eternity. And we have given money to some of the dodgiest things in the world you wouldn't believe. And some of it was dodgy. And we probably maybe shouldn't have gave it to them. But we gave it with the heart that we wanted to bless. We gave it with a heart that we wanted to see God move. Okay. So, when I give, I give an eternal perspective, And there's three things I give, and I'm just going to finish with this. I give time to serve. I give time to serve, and I'll tell you why I give time to serve. Because I just might get to see somebody come to Jesus and see their lives changed. I just might. I give love for the same reason. I give love to serve people that we might see some of them come to Jesus. And then we give money. And I give money to serve people that I might see someone born to Christ. And I want to invite you to think about doing the same. I want to invite you to love. I want to invite you to serve. I want to invite you to pray. And I want to invite you to give. That you might see others around you come to Jesus. And someday we get to have a party in heaven together. Someday we get to live out the book of Revelation. Someday we get to be with Jesus and see our family and our friends coming into heaven. Someday we get to have that party. Someday. I don't know when that'll be. But someday. And you can give with a cheerful heart when you give like Jesus did. And when you trust God. And when you love his church. And you know who his church is? You. Yeah. When you love each other, you can give with a cheerful you. heart. But you've got to love like Jesus and you've got to let, let, let him love through you. And not try and do it in your own strength because it won't work. If you don't operate in his grace, you'll be crushed but if you will operate in his grace, you can love beyond something that you've ever dreamed of. And you can care, and you can serve, and you can give. And I want to finish with this. In Revelation, it tells us this. Just go on to Revelation for me, Tony, please. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first one, heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Lord, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order things has passed away. And he was sitting on the throne said, I'm making everything new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am the Alpha, sorry, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost. And those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The victory ahead is this, that we get to see this. We get to see this. We get to be part of this. When we go through the adventure and we get to the victory, we get to see this. Because this is us. Give us an action, Tony. We are the bride. We are the bride. You are his bride. We're his loved one. We're the hands and the feet. We get to pray. We get to serve. We get to give. We get the honor, the privilege, the opportunity to do these things. You don't have to do them. You don't have to love anybody. You don't have to save anybody and you don't have to give anything. We get to do those things. We get to bring others to Jesus so that they too can have all that God has so graciously given to us. So that others around us can get the salvation that we got. Others around us can get the grace, the hope, the eternity and everything else that God has ever done for you we get to share that with other people. But you don't have to. Because Jesus loves you anyway, even if you never did all that. Jesus will love you, and the price he paid on the cross is enough to get you into heaven if you never loved another human being, if you never served another human being, or if you never gave to another human being. But if you really, truly want to be all that he has created you to be and all that he has called you to be. And when I say you, I'm saying me. I'm not trying to point your finger at any of us. I really am not I believe God has so much more in line for every single one of us. So much more. But to do it, we're going to have to step into it. It's not going to come and just pick you up and carry you there we need to be praying, we need to be reading, we need to be listening, we need to be communicating. We need to be serving and we need to be giving. And what I want to do is take 30 seconds and say, just where you are right now, just between you and God. But I want to take 30 seconds and say, just let God speak to your heart right now. Just bring all that's been spoke about to him and let him speak to you. Let him say to you, yes, I want you to do this or I want you to do that or I want you to give here or I want you to give there or I want you to pray for this or I want you to pray for that or I want you to love this person the way I love you. We'll have people up the air here and, and if you need prayer then don't leave without getting prayer but let me pray really quickly over you father I pray that, that, that what is of you this morning will stick in our hearts and change our lives and as what is of me it will just fall to the floor and be forgotten about as we leave this room but I pray Lord that you would let people in this room right now have an encounter with you like they've never had before I pray that as they sit and as, as your spirit is in this room and your presence is in this room that you would imprint on their hearts and their minds a picture of their future living the adventure with you. A picture of the victory that is ahead for each and every one of them. A picture, Lord, that you would just make real and make their reality. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And God bless you. Um, if you do need prayer, please come up the front and be...